0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Learning, Lifting, Leading, Social Equity for and by Black and Brown Girls and Women. My name is Jen Grimmett, and with us today is Meredith Heffley, Community Engagement Specialist at Cardinal Innovations Healthcare here in Alamance County, North Carolina, speaking on the topic of public health, and social policy, with a specific focus on suicide prevention work being done at our local level. Good morning, Meredith. Good morning, Jen. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. <laughs> so maybe to introduce yourself to the audience, could you provide a little uh, background on um, you know, the work that you do? the work that you have been engaged with, and what brings you with us today to speak on this topic.
1: Absolutely, Jen. Uh, I've been uh, with Cardinal Innovations in Alamance County for the last six years as a community engagement specialist, and primarily uh, my role is to engage stakeholders, um, whether that's law enforcement or school systems or health departments, social service agencies, on how to uh help individuals that, are in, that have mental illness, substance use disorders, or are dealing with intellectual intellectual developmental disability, uh, engage in the system, whether that's through routine visits or through crisis situations. So part of what I do, or main part of what I do, is training. And so that's really what brings me here today, is we teach a course called QPR, which is Question, Persuade, and Refer. It's a suicide prevention course. And I've been teaching that course of, through the QPR Institute with Cardinal for about uh, the last five years, and we've trained about three thousand people on uh, suicide prevention.
0: Great. Uh, what are some of the um, the populations that you have connected with in doing the QPR training? Sure. Um, we
1: have the the biggest population I think that we have uh, taught in the last five years. Uh, the two biggest populations probably would be our school system staff and those who deal with, uh, with youth, whether that's um, teachers or parents. And so that, that's, a, that's a big group that we've kind of connected with. The other group that we have is our um, law enforcement. So we've done quite a bit with law enforcement in general, but also uh, probation and parole, juvenile justice, uh, cor- the community or corrections, those who work in our prison system, uh, and so those are probably two biggest populations that we've dealt with uh, in the last
0: five years. So, you know, it, it sounds like what you're describing is setting folks up to succeed to perform their work through a trauma-informed lens. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think almost, if not all, the work that we do, uh, comes through a trauma-informed lens, right? Make the uh, assumption that we're seeing that you see trauma until you've been told otherwise. And so that's, I think most of all of the work that we do really does focus on that trauma-informed lens,
0: yes. You spoke about, you know, connecting with school systems. Why, why is a trauma-informed approach to taking care of our kids a good thing?
1: Well, trauma is uh, one of the biggest, uh, trauma is one of the biggest indicators uh, for an adolescent to have a mental illness when they become adults. So for example, uh, abandonment and conflict would probably be two big ones, that if an adolescent experiences that sort of trauma and it's not dealt with uh, when they are an adolescent, when the brain is still developing, uh, we have a higher likelihood of that adolescent developing a mental illness as they become adults, whether that's depression or anxiety. And so uh, understanding trauma, dealing with trauma at a young age, uh, really does prevent and help the, the child, when they, as they grow, as the brain develops, and having some of those protective factors in place. And so the most important thing is to make sure that they have those protective factors in place and to deal with the trauma if it occurs. Because adolescents will deal with trauma and they will experience trauma. Uh, that happens, but the important thing is how we respond to that and how the help that the, the adolescent gets. And that will provide a lot of protective factors as they become adults.
0: Mm-hmm. And... You know, it it also sounds like it's a very good form of prevention care.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. we You, you can't have intervention without prevention. And mm-hmm. so uh, part of the whole thing is to kind of prevent and to teach. Uh, and if we can prevent it, it's a whole lot easier. But what we know is that we're not going to prevent everything. And so mm-hmm. how we respond to that is also going to be prevention, right, as to see – Are they going to do it again? If they experience this again, can we put some things in place where if this experience happens to them, do they know how to connect to those resources and get the help that they need? So prevention and intervention, obviously two different things, but Mm -hmm. they do kind of go hand in hand sometimes. And especially with suicide prevention, you know, I teach on how to intervene in a suicide. Uh, So I had a question one time. Somebody said, well, how is this prevention? Well, maybe you're preventing if this behavior occurs again, that they know how to respond and to react to it. So if you react the right way the first time, then you are creating a prevention. So it's an intervention. It's a prevention through intervention.
0: Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that, you know, looking at the, you know, the school systems and having administrators and teachers, you know, approach things in a more informed way. Like it's, for me, like it sounds like, like it could help students with seeing folks as safe, safer spaces to disclose. Absolutely, uh, most of our—if you look at a
1: lot of the um, there's a there's a survey that goes the the risk behavior survey uh, that a lot of school systems do. If you look at some of those results, there is a particular question on there that asks youth. Is there one person in your school building where you feel safe? And so if we look at some of our school systems that surround Alamance County, uh, those numbers are not as high as what teachers and principals want to think they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when we're looking at is there an adult in this building where you feel safe and you can go to, those numbers are staggeringly lower than 50%. And even if you would ask teachers and principals or administrators, they would think those numbers would be in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so we really have to look at what are youth telling us uh, because perception is reality, and youth has a, have a different perception than adults do. And so uh, we have to look at those surveys. We have to be willing to ask those questions. But I think with what comes asking those questions is – are we ready to respond? And so I think sometimes we're afraid to ask the questions because we don't know how to respond to it. And that's ultimately when we look at suicide, that's our biggest issue. It's not that we can't ask the question. It's not that we don't know what the question is. It's if I ask the question, then I gotta have to do something about it if the answer is in the affirmative. So uh, when we kind of look at all of those things, it's not necessarily that we don't know how, it's that we don't know how to respond.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: a part of across the board when we train a cardinal that is what we're teaching people is you already have this in you you know what the questions are you have the gut feeling that there's something wrong we're just going to tell you what to do if there's a problem and so that's ultimately what we teach on a regular basis
0: when you are talking with folks in the like school administration and teachers do you share that data as far as that the the difference in reality versus actuality oh absolutely
1: yeah and I would say every time we've shared it they're shocked um every time they they either don't believe it or uh or they don't want to do want to know think that it's true and so yeah we we do share we share a lot of data with them in general I think that's really for adults that's how we really get them uh, we do share some anecdotal stories, but ultimately, uh, things are going to rely on data, and how we respond is going to be data driven. And so, uh, we do share a lot of that. Uh, and so, uh, most, as I said, most of the time they're they're pretty much in shock when we when we tell them some of these
0: statistics. So you know, shifting over to you know the other constituency that you spoke of with law enforcement. So why is you know? helping law enforcement approach things through a trauma informed lens important
1: well first of all law enforcement has become our de facto Mental health response in some cases, and so uh, when we have people who don't know how to respond to an individual's behavior, we call nine one one. And so uh, when you get law enforcement out there, law enforcement is trained. Essentially, when they go through their basic training, they are uh, trained to to come in to neutralize the situation to make sure everybody's safe. Uh, but law enforcement. Uh, we train them slightly differently through a trauma-informed lens to understand that sometimes when they do come in in the manner in which they're trained, it actually escalates behavior. And when esca- behavior starts to escalate, uh, just go ahead and make the assumption there's probably something else going on. And so it's very important as as we help law enforcement. Again, they've over the last ten, fifteen, twenty years, they've been expected to do things. To deal with mental health when they're not trained to do it. And so uh, that's also why Cardinal is very much invested in the CIT program, which is a crisis intervention team training uh, program for law enforcement and how important that 40 hours is to helping law enforcement ultimately deal with the individual in the mental health crisis, but also to make sure that they go home safely. And so those two things together is why we're very heavily invested
0: in that training as well. Great. So you've touched upon this, but I'm wondering if you have anything that you would like to add as far as an overview of what suicide prevention work is. Ultimately, suicide prevention work is
1: really tapping into an individual's sixth sense. And so uh, part of what I train is when we talk about warning signs and plans and those kinds of things, uh, people are being asked to interpret something that they don't understand. So they're being asked to interpret a warning sign that they don't get. And so what what I tell the individuals when I train with them is it's very important that if you think there's something wrong and you feel there's something wrong, there's probably something wrong, and it's okay to ask. And so I think sometimes we are just really kind of laying it out there for people and saying it's not going to hurt anything if you ask the question, if you get somebody help. Um, and so part of suicide prevention is really kind of tapping into an individual's own sense of, I know there's something wrong with this person, but I don't know what to do with it. And so that's really ultimately that, that's what we're doing. It's really saying to this individual, you're right, there is something wrong, this is your next step. Uh, because the last thing we want people to do is if something does happen, that they look back and said, I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so that's ultimately what suicide prevention is. Is really kind of tapping into somebody's own sixth sense, uh, that there is something wrong with the individual in front of them.
0: So. Great. And you also touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to see if you have anything that you would like to add. Um, you know, suicide prevention work is a very broad topic, and you've given some context for how the work manifests at the ground levels. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to add to the primary components that you've touched upon, you know, outreach to school systems, outreach to law enforcement? Sure. I think ultimately one thing that we do talk about is,
1: you know, not everybody that has mental illness is in a mental health crisis, right? So we assume just because somebody has bipolar disorder that they're in a crisis when essentially they can be in recovery for years. Uh, The other thing is not everybody that's in a mental health crisis has a mental illness. And so I think sometimes we we put those two things hand in hand, That all of a sudden somebody who um, is uh, having a panic attack, all of a sudden it has a mental illness of anxiety, when in fact it could be a a one-time situation. And so I think education... Is the most important thing, and if we don't continue to educate our community on what these things really look like, then we're not going to have a shift and a move in the way we look at mental illness or substance use disorders. And so, I think that the ground level—I think you know—we work with a lot of people. I've trained over six thousand people in the six years I've been with Cardinal, and I would have to say maybe one percent of those individuals say that this training was not valuable to me. And so, if we can—if we can work with those ninety-nine percent of people and say you can change the way we look at mental health in this country uh that's what's important and i think this generation that we're dealing with right now generation y or what we want to call the millennials they are prone to do that their adults in their lives are the ones getting in the way the people the generation ahead of them are the ones that are afraid to talk about this and i I was with a group of elon students a few weeks ago and i really talking about suicide, and I really implored them to continue to have these conversations, push the boundaries of the people around you, because you're going to be the ones that change the face of mental health as we go forward in this country, and that is important. Uh, that's important work to be done, um, and again, we, this generation is okay talking about mental health, and we have to be okay listening to them,
0: and that's, to me, that's the most important thing. Were you, out of curiosity, were you mean with the Active Minds group? Um, No, it was actually a fraternity.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, um, it was really cool. Yeah, we got a a call from the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, our Alamance Casual, Rockingham chapter, uh, Art and Becky Springer, who are fantastic people. Uh, They really just... I I can't say enough how much I just admire their work and what they do. Uh, They were actually um, approached by this particular fraternity, and so they then asked uh, Cardinal to assist with that. So, yeah, it was a a fraternity. It was about 60 mainly uh, males, some females. We had probably about 10% in the group that were females uh, from some sororities. But, yeah, it was a fraternity, Elon. And as I said, it was incredible to kind of see – the movements and what they're thinking when it comes to mental health.
0: Well, and, and this has kind of taken a a b rail, but in particular, you know, so many social stigmas uh, that are aligned with, you know, men voicing the vulnerability that they're not okay. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, we have to raise another, a new generation of, of males, um, I have an eight-year-old boy, and uh, I explain to him all the time that it's okay to cry, uh, that I, wanna, I want you to express some of these feelings. And so I think in my, in my feeling, I think he'll be healthier and he'll be a better adult uh, if he can express his feelings in a productive uh, way. And so I think education is part of how we change that, right? That it's, it's not a weakness to show those things. Uh, It's okay to express your feelings if you need to. Uh, And I think sometimes we focus too much on what people shouldn't do instead of what they should do. And
0: Mm -hmm. if we start
1: to focus on what people should do and that it's okay to do what they're doing, uh, and that it's your own opinion if they're doing something, it's not necessarily a bad thing. If we stop doing that and we start to educate people on what's real, I think we'll change uh, the future for for mental health, I think. Um, And I think that's the way we do it.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm going to shift a little bit, and I I wanted to pick your brain and to see what your thoughts were on this. You know, given the stigmas and stereotypes that are attached to suicide and suicidal ideation, what role does cultural competency education have as a method for preventing suicides of black and brown girls?
1: Oh, the the probably is probably the biggest impact because if we look at uh where so if you look at uh, African American populations for example uh, African American populations when it comes to mental health tend to turn to their faith communities as assistance to that. so if we then don't get into the faith communities and teach them what resources are then the African-American population is going to turn to that resource, and that resource isn't going to know what to do with it. And so we have to make sure we're educating uh, those those primary resources that they turn to uh, because we can't assume if we look at the data, the data tells us that. So if we're not looking at the data and saying, oh, well, if you're African-American, then just go to your doctor. Well, what we know is data doesn't tell us that that's what they do, that that's mm-hmm. what happens. And so we have to make sure we get to those primary resources and say, okay, this is what the data tells us. If you need help with this, this is what you can do. And so, uh, again, it's kind of making the assumption that we know better than what the data is telling us or what those populations are telling us. And simply, the easiest thing to do sometimes is just simply ask, you know, if you have, if, if you have problems, where would you turn? Uh, and so we know what the data tells us and simply sometimes going into those populations and having conversations with what would you do and then getting to those primary resources and educating and uh, getting them to understand kind of what these things look like. And so that does impede when we're not educating those primary resources, it does impede in individuals from getting help and then it increases the stigma.
0: Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. And I don't know how much you can speak to this and so feel free to to say I can't really speak to this. Um, but how would you describe the relationship between low-income communities, underfunded schools, and the su- suicidal ideation of women and girls of color? know, that's a great question and you're right, I can't answer that one. Um, right. What we do
1: know in general is that um, African-American Uh, girls have a lower have a diagnosed lower rate of depression than caucasian girls uh that doesn't necessarily mean that african-american girls experience depression at a lower rate it just says that they get diagnosed at a lower rate Mm -hmm. right so there's two factors there of concern right is the diagnosis are they not getting reaching out and getting resources or is it um that they are, they simply have a lower rate of depression. So we really don't know that factor. We just know that they are diagnosed at a lower rate than, say, a Caucasian female. So, again, we don't really know what that means as we go go forward. We just know that the diagnosis is different. So is the stigma there that they're not getting the diagnosis, not going to the doctor and not telling them that there's an issue, or simply do they just have a lower rate of depression? We really don't know.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. We'll kind of wrap things up with, um, you know, the kind of the starting point that, you know, the theme of this podcast is learning, lifting and leading social equity for and by black and brown girls and women. And the content is aligned with the 33rd Women's Conference that took place at Shaw University in Raleigh back in October one of the things that we're asking everyone from different perspectives is: Do you have any suggestions about how black and brown girls and women can be learning, lifting, and leading to bring about social equity? For
1: me, in the work that I do, um, you know, I don't, I, I serve on task force and groups, and, you know, I, the type of work that I do really revolves around education and getting people to understand uh, what mental illness is, what substance use disorders look like, uh, how to help and how to get people to where they need to be. And I think ultimately for me uh, in the work that I've done over the last six years, six and a half years with Cardinal, um, is education probably has been our biggest driving factor to just simply get the word out there to say, Hey, this is what it looks like. And it's okay if you have it. So I think, uh, for me, it's education, uh, and I think for for a long time, that's probably where I, where I would be. Um, however, I can probably see some work moving forward to do some other things with it, right? So, um, for a lot of sorority groups, you know, groups groups of women who already are connected who um, already have those social interactions, uh, sometimes getting in there and really having real conversations about what they're experiencing. I think that's why, um, I know Jada Pinkett Smith has that new uh, podcast, I think that she does, which I think is incredible, just having a really live conversation about what's going on uh, with you and who you are and what you're experiencing. Uh, I think women have a really good way of doing that. I just think sometimes we don't, We don't necessarily follow through. Like we'll listen and we empathize. But what's the next step? And I think sometimes that's where people get stuck. And that's ultimately what we teach is how to not
0: get stuck at that spot. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for, you know, bringing so much knowledge and insight into this conversation. I, I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Learning, Lifting, Leading, Social Equity for and by Black and Brown Girls and Women with our guest, Meredith Pefley, Community Engagement Specialist at Cardinal Innovations Healthcare here in Alamance County, North Carolina. Special thanks for this podcast go to Shaw University, Elon University, and the Raleigh Apex Branch of the NAACP for supporting this important work.